This is the Aspire Podcast. The Aspire Podcast is all about sharing the stories of those who have aspired into full-time Christian ministry. As we share their stories, we hope to encourage, excite, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards ministry. Hey friends, welcome to the last episode of the Aspire Podcast for Season 1. Super excited for this last interview before our Q&A next week. Hey, just wanted to say that Season 2 we're hoping to launch in April 2021. And what we really want is to have a library of different stories because we know that different stories relate to different people. And so we didn't expect everyone to listen to every single episode because we know that some people want to choose particular episodes over others, which is totally cool. But one thing that we did want to ask you guys is, if there are particular guests that you'd like to have on for next season, we'd love to know who those people are. We've already got a bunch of cool guests lined up for next season, people in overseas mission, music ministry, public Christian ministry, other stuff like that. But if there are other guests who you'd like to listen to, please let us know who they are and we can get them on the show for season two. With that said, here's our conversation with Mandy Curley. We're really pleased uh, that today we've got uh, Mandy Curley joining us. Uh, Mandy's worked in a number of different ministry positions uh, over her um, lifetime of working in ministry, some of which I'm sure she'll share some stories about. Uh, She's worked in parish ministry and worked um, in university residences ministry with university students. She's currently serving um, on the staff team at um, Gladesville Anglican Church. Mandy, welcome. Glad you're able to join us. Thanks, Taddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, we thought we'd just start with a little bit of a backstory and because um, we're just trying to get to know our guests a little bit. Mandy, do you remember the first time that you and I met? Um, I'm not sure I remember the specific moment, but I can tell people that um, I'm a little bit younger than Patty, but not that much. But I was a kid at Beach Mission uh, when I first met Patty. Uh, so I actually became a Christian uh, on Beach Mission at East Beach Kayama. Um, and Patty was one of the leaders on the team. And then we got to serve on team alongside each other as well. So end of year 12 was my first year on team um, at Mission. And it was one of the great joys of getting to actually do ministry alongside the people that had helped me come to know Jesus. Yeah, it really was just a great experience, um, not just doing beach mission itself, because the great thing to be doing to be doing beach missions. But um, for those of our listeners who may have been involved in beach missions, uh, there's something really nice about Mandy's story, if you've experienced that yourself, our listeners, of seeing the people who you've spent time with um, in the caravan park, and they're coming to your activities, and you're sitting reading the Bible with them, that they become Christians. And then, just like Mandy, they turn up on the team one year, and then suddenly you go, oh, all right, you're here. And it's just, so it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So we're really glad you could join us, Mandy, um, for the time this afternoon. I thought we'd um, sort of start with um, one of our first questions, which is, I guess, when did you first aspire to ministry? So we've just heard that little bit of the backstory that you became a Christian at Beach Mission. Uh, sort of maybe fill in the gaps from there a little bit yeah. briefly until uh, you sort of aspired into Yeah, ministry. so it's kind of one of those interesting things that even as I looked back, I was like, oh, I'm not sure that I can actually pick that first moment when I thought about it. I think coming from a non-Christian family, Getting Jesus and understanding him meant that I think fairly early on I was keen to be involved in ministry because I kind of just got that that was how I came to know about Jesus. And so me using the gifts that I had to serve others was kind of the way that God grew his kingdom. 
Um, and so I studied law at university um, and was involved in serving in ministry in lots of different ways. And I went to KYLC, which is kind of the pre-runner to NextGen now. Um, and so I went up on my own uh, from my church and got to know some of the people in my strand group because I didn't have my own friends to hang out with. So I made friends uh, there. And while I was there, um, I then, one of the girls that I'd made friends with, she said, oh, well, do you want to stay for, um, I think back then it was KYC. Um, who knows what that equivalent is now, but it was sort of the weekend away. So lots of people that hadn't necessarily been to KYLC for that week came up for a weekend of young adults hanging out together, hearing from the Bible. So we had the afternoon together in Katoomba. And so this is the first specific time I remember someone asking me the question. Um, and she said to me like, oh, have you ever thought about full-time ministry? I'm actually really embarrassed to admit this, uh, but I was dating a guy at the time, it was pretty serious. And my response was, well, I guess if he wants to be a minister, I'd be happy to be a minister's wife. Wow. Um, and I kind of look at it now and go, but that was partly for me, I don't think I'd ever really seen a model of a woman in ministry. Um, I'd had women who had significant impact on my life that had been in the churches that I were at, that had sewed into my life, but I didn't really know any women who worked in ministry that that was actually an option, that that could be what you did full time. Um, and so while I kind of had that very flippant, like, oh, well, turns out I didn't marry the guy, um, but I ended up in ministry myself. But I think that was kind of the first bit that planted the seed to think about, oh, what am I doing with my life and why? Um, I was studying business law. Um, my parents, from my family on both my mum and my dad's side, I was the first person in our family that had been to university. Um, and I loved um, what I was studying. I'd kind of, I loved having arguments and so being a lawyer seemed logical. Um, but I realised while I was at uni that actually the thing that I loved most about being a student was the freedom and flexibility I had to do a whole lot of things. So I was involved in serving at my church. I was involved in the campus group uh, at uni. Um, and then in God's good timing, um, I actually got quite sick at the end of my fourth year of uni in second semester of fourth year of a five year degree. And I had to take the semester off uni which meant that I could no longer graduate with all my friends anymore. And so instead of doing full-time uni for the next two years, I did a three-quarter load. Um, so did the 18 months worth of subjects over the next two years and did what we called a kind of ministry training experience because it was only a couple of days a week, so it wasn't enough to call it MTS, but it gave me a chance to do a bit more investigating of, did I have the gifts and the abilities to be able to serve in ministry? what would that look like? And so I spent a couple of years um, doing that and I loved it. I loved being able to read the Bible with people. The church I was involved in out Southwest actually meant that I did lots of leading groups of women who were much older than me, uh, way more mature than I was. And I feel like I learnt way more than um, I got to teach them. But it was just a great joy of being able to have a go at a heap of different things. And so as I was getting to the end of my degree, I was then like, okay, what next? Because um, for my parents, I knew that finishing my degree was important, 
but I also was pretty sure that working was an important way of honouring them. And as I was thinking about, well, if I'm actually going to spend a lifetime serving God, then a few years of working first is not going to be the stupidest decision that I could make. Um, I felt like it would be a great way of helping me to grow up and mature a little bit. Um, the idea of thinking about what work looked like and um, knowing what it's like to keep going back to a job that you don't necessarily love every single minute of every single day, but you've got to show up. Um, and so kind of towards the end of that year, I was like, well, the option is I could either go and do a full-time year or two somewhere, um, or I could go and work full-time. Um, and I made the decision to work full-time. Um, and kind of within that, then got the option of my first full-time job was working for the government. And I got the opportunity to move into, well, when you move to Canberra, is it moving interstate or interest, inter I moved from a state to a territory. <laughs> um, but I knew one person in Canberra when That's I moved. Um, but I thought it was also that at the church that I was at that had been greatly supportive. Everyone thought the next logical step was for me to go into ministry. And I wanted to make sure that I was actually doing it for the right reasons, that I had the gifts and the competencies to do that. And so when the option came up to move to Canberra, I took it. I'm just really interested in that phrase that um, a lot of other people who knew you and observed you thought that the next logical step for you was to go into ministry. Why, why do you think that might have been the case in their thinking? Yeah, it's as I look back on it, you sort of think, because I felt, I felt very unimpressive. Um, but I think one of the things that I was really encouraged by was they saw me getting in and doing things and went, oh, you can do this and that'd be a good thing to do. Um, and so I had, yeah, the assistant minister at the church that I was at was like, well, what are you thinking longer term? And um, what about doing these sorts of things? And I think it's as you kind of build on that and realise that, oh, the things that I love most of all about my life are the Bible studies I lead and the one-to-ones I do with other women to read the Bible and pray with them. And I think particularly the thing that I loved was it was when I got to do things that ostensibly I was the one training someone to do something else. Often it was just I got to sit alongside them while they worked out how good they were at doing that thing and then they went off and flew to do it. But realising, oh, that whole, it's not just about me doing stuff, but if I can actually help other people to realise what they can do, they then go off and do it. I think one of my favourite um, memories from the two years of working part-time at church was... I did Christianity Explained back in those days uh, with a woman who was like, she had two friends that were keen to do it and she was like, I couldn't do this. I... And so I was like, well, I'll do it with you. So we'll do it together. The four of us will meet and we'll do it. And, you know, that'll be fine. But it'd be weird for me just to take your friends and do it. So the very first week we met beforehand, we went through what the session was. She was like, well, I'll say this one thing and you can do everything else. Um, I think I introduced that session and her friends started asking questions and she started answering them and I sat there smiling. Uh, but it took someone else going, oh, you can do this and doing it with them to see. And I think so it's loving doing that. And other people were like, oh, well, why don't you do that? Because we need people who will equip other people to do things. That's really cool, Mandy. That's 
so interesting. When you're in Canberra, you're working and you're thinking, okay, maybe ministry is going to be after this. Can you talk us through any obstacles you faced while you were working before you got into ministry, challenges that you had to overcome to actually pursue that? Yeah, so one of the things that I did before I moved, I look back and I go, far out, God is gracious and kind. So when I went to Canberra, I asked a couple of friends and I said, look, the longer term plan, I think I'm thinking ministry. So can you hold me accountable to that? Um, and so I asked them um, after two years of being in Canberra, I asked them to ask me, um, how was I going? Where was my thinking at with ministry? Was I still thinking? In my head, I had a couple of good reasons that I might think, oh no, I can't do this. Um, so I worked for the tax office, which most people go, evil tax collector. I go, <laughs> do you like all the services that the government provides for you? Um, and so I thought, well, maybe if I'm really good at the job that I do, um, if there are opportunities that I have to get alongside people that I wouldn't have if I was working in a church, then staying in the workforce could be a good thing to do. But I also didn't just want it to be that, oh, well, I'd got caught up with working and then had stopped thinking about um, doing ministry. And so I think for me, probably the biggest obstacle was that I really liked my job. Um, I worked with some of the people that I think were the most clever people that I've ever met um, and people that really believed in public service. Um, I think one of the reasons that I love the West Wing, which I know is classic Christian of my age, um, but you just have these people that believe in public service and they believe in the greater good and doing that. And I worked with men and women who are some of the most clever people that I've ever met who could have been making bucket loads working as lawyers in private practice, um, but actually wanted a tax system that had uh, integrity and uh, worked well so that government services could be provided. Um, and I loved that. At one point I got three promotions and I was still the most junior officer in the team. Um, one of the things I uh, remember you mentioning just earlier on in your story was, um, I guess, a perception that there was a lack of good female role models. So you, I think, said, look, I just didn't know what it meant for a woman to be in ministry. To what extent was that um, a particular challenge or maybe an obstacle in your consideration of what ministry looked like for you? And then I guess I'm interested in hearing just having now been in ministry for many, many years, what are some of the obstacles maybe particularly for women considering or aspiring towards ministry that you'd be aware of and would like to yeah. share with us? Yeah, I think I realised even in Canberra where I went to church, there were no women uh, on the staff team uh, that I was. I saw examples of women working in university ministry, which was great to, to see and have a bit to do with them. Um, but I don't know why I'd always loved parish uh, stuff. And so I wasn't quite sure of what that looked like. But I remember talking to some of the guys on the staff team where I was at church um, and they kept giving me opportunities to do things while I was there. Um, so in Canberra, we kind of had this go at running three nights of some outreach events midweek to invite our work colleagues to come along and to talk about Christian ideas and to engage with things. And they gave me responsibilities and kind of went, there was a security network, but they kind of went, have a go um, and do this. And so I think it was a little bit not having clear role models to go to. It felt a bit like I was making it up as I went. 
One of the freedoms of that is that there wasn't anyone that was saying, oh, you have to do it this way. So there were some things that it was actually really nice to go, I'm the first person doing this. And so no one's going, oh, you're supposed to be like that. Um, and so you, I could actually just be me and do the things mm. that I was good at doing and kind of shape what I was doing around that. Um, but I think it took me coming to college to actually, it was my first student minister job that I went to a church that had um, a woman on the full-time staff team. And I realized it was kind of six months in and I went, oh, Margaret, you're the first woman that I've ever known that's actually been in parish ministry full-time. No um, and so it took to then yeah. to really, yeah, yeah um, and go, oh, and so being able to see what she did and what that looked like and then starting to think about, oh, how could I then mm. be used to? And I think it is one of the things that, like, I come from a conviction point of view. I'm quite conservative. And so I think there are great opportunities for women to serve in ministry but I don't think my role should look the same as a guy's should. Um, and it can often be hard when it feels like you're the fourth or fifth staff member on a staff team um, because, you know, well, you need an extra guy to help you preach first and then you need some, another guy to do something else and then another guy to do something else and, oh, well, maybe the fifth. Um, and that's one of the things that's been lovely at Gladesville is that, my role was actually specifically designed to have a women's training role because the senior minister wanted a woman on the senior staff team. And so that was really encouraging to me that he was like, no, it's important that we have a women's voice um, to shape that leadership role. And I think it is something that I sometimes look around and go, oh, it doesn't feel like there are more women in ministry now than when I first went to train to be at college. Um, and that makes me sad because um, I think there are so many opportunities uh, to, to serve. Are there particular challenges perhaps for, say, the women in the sort of 18 to 23, 18 to 25 age group? Uh, obviously, there's, that's a sort of an age group that you've done some ministry among, having uh, you know, lived in residential colleges at university, but also now in parish work. Do you think there are particular challenges um, when it comes to talking with and talking to women about their aspirations into ministry. Do you mm. want to share maybe a couple with us and our listeners? I think that 18 to, yeah, that, I think times of transition for people are huge um, and they're times that can often make or break people's faith. Um, and so that, those early uni years, that post uni as you're working out what does work life look like is big. Um, I think the whole thing of that's the age group that often women are thinking about, am I going to get married? And if I am going to get married, what's that going to look like? And so sometimes I think it can be hard to work out, well, how many decisions do I make about what life might look like? Um, not knowing if there's, you know, you could be in a relationship already, so you're wanting to try and work out, well, how much of those decisions do we make together? How much of those decisions do we make independently? But also I think when there hasn't been necessarily some really clear role models of what to do, the whole, what does it even look like? Um, I think it can be hard to know where to go when you haven't seen it beforehand. Um, but I think there's a sort of an encouragement to go, um, actually you can, you can be brave and do things. And very few of the decisions we make are forever decisions. 
um, God is very kind and gracious and we can make decisions that in hindsight we look back on and go, oh, possibly could have made a better decision than that. Um, but God in his kindness actually uses even our bad decisions uh, to grow us and to make us to be more like him. And so I think there's the whole thing of going, dream big um, in that age group. Um, I want people to be thinking about, well, what sorts of options are there and what can I do? There can be amazing things to do in the workplace with your career and opportunities that come with that. Uh, there are huge opportunities to serve, whether it's in church, whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's with um, students on campus, uh, where there are a lot more women's roles. Um, and so I think in one stage, I want to sort of take the pressure off. I think it can feel at that age group, like every decision you make is huge and is going to change everything. Um, and I think actually life is long um, and God will use all those little things that you do along the way. And so I think we feel like we've got to pick the right degree. You can always study something else. You can always change where you're, where you're going, what you're doing. Mandy, you mentioned how you really loved your job in government and you really enjoyed that. And that was like a really big obstacle because you just enjoyed the work you were doing. And obviously, me and Patty, we both believe that work that is not full-time ministry is still very, very important for the kingdom of God. So why did you choose to leave that work if you enjoyed it? Hmm. Yeah, so for me, it was a question of this is good work that I'm doing that actually is helpful and making a difference but it's work that other Christians can also do. Mm. And for me, being able to serve in ministry, it seemed like there were some things that I could do that others wouldn't. Um, and so it was a case of, I could keep doing this and I could keep serving God and that would be a really good thing to do. But it also felt like I had the freedom and the flexibility to say, oh, well, instead of pursuing this career, I can serve in ministry and there were people around me that were saying that that was a good idea. I had the desire to do it. And so it seemed like, well, let's just go and do it. Um, I had the great freedom of when I told my boss at work that I wanted to go and study at college, he went, okay. Um, and so I said to him, so I think there's three options. I can resign now. I can, um, finish up on this date and I can then um, work for you over the summer or take some leave without, take some leave without pay and go and study. Um, you tell me what I should do. And he said, oh, well, I want you to come back. So I'll give you leave without pay. And so for my first year at college, I was able to make that decision to go. And it really felt like there was absolutely no consequences. Um, at the end of the year, I could walk straight back into a job that I loved just a year on. Um, and when I made the decision at the end of that year, I was like, no, no, I really want to keep doing college. My boss said, well, I guess I need to give you, can you come back and work for me over the summer? And then I'll give you another 10 months leave without pay. So I was like, sure. So between, between first and second year, I worked over the summer. Then I did second year. I did the same thing uh, between second and third year, and then the same thing again between third and fourth year. And it wasn't until the beginning of fourth year, well, so that, that summer, I actually handed my boss my resignation at the beginning of summer, and he sat on it all summer going, are you really, really sure? Are you really, really wow. sure? And there were 
times at that point, there weren't a lot of ministry jobs out there. Um, and there were times when it was really tempting to go, well, I could always come back part time. I hadn't made one of the things about government jobs is that there were lots of women who, for family reasons, would come back part time. And I was like, oh, I could just come back and do three days a week and then do some ministry part time. And for me, at the end, of the, I was like, no, no, I'm pretty sure that the reason I came to college was that I'm supposed to do this full time. And for me, it felt like a way of actually showing that I trusted God with that. And so I said, no, no, I'm I'm resigning. I get the sense that if you like, maybe the language is that you became not just convicted of it, but there was this growing conviction year on year. And the decision really at the end of fourth year was, uh, well, which way will I go, actually? And it seems like you were personally convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, is that a fair assumption about what you've been saying? Yeah, um, yeah, I think that is. And it's it's sort of one of those things that I think people often use the the calling language. And I'm like, the conviction language works much better for me in terms of that, because it's like seeing what Jesus has done for me, seeing who he had made mm. me be and the opportunities that I had. I was convicted that this was a good way for me to use what God had given me to serve him. Um, and it hasn't all been easy, but it's all been a huge privilege. Mandy, before Patty wraps up, when you're in college, how did you know what type of ministry you want to do? Because you said that it was really hard when you're growing up to know what does women ministry look like, particularly for people with complementarian convictions. Not that everyone has complementarian convictions who listen to the podcast, but for those who do, how... How, how did you know, okay, I want to be a director of membership at Christchurch Glazeville. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get there to that point of, okay, this is, this is, I think, the thing I want to do? Yeah, so I was going to say, that's an interesting story. So when I left Canberra to come to Sydney, I, I think I thought that I was heading back to Canberra um, to work in the parish that I'd been involved in. And at in the four years that I was at college, the entire staff team had changed and it became clear that me going back there wasn't what it was going to look like. So you're kind of going, so what do I do now? Um, I did six months on exchange to the UK um, at Oak Hill because I was thinking I'm not tied to Sydney. What could this look like? And I had some really serious discussions with some people in the UK that got very close, but then for one reason or another in terms of timing and that didn't quite come off. Um, And so I was talking to lots of people and really having no idea about what it would look like. Um, And then when I was in fourth year, there were two clear options that opened up. Uh, One that was an advertised position in a parish and one that involved um, someone coming and talking to me who most people have heard of, I'd heard of him, I'd never actually met him before this point and I was slightly scared about how much he knew about me. So Philip Jensen came and met with me at college and said, I want you to come and work with me. Whoa. And I'm going, well, I'm, I know you're Philip Jensen, but what the? Um, and Philip then sat there and listed off all the people that, he, that knew me that he'd talked to and said, so I've got a position at the cathedral working amongst our evening congregation. It's working mainly among young adults. Um, and so I would love you to come and work with me here. And my response was, oh, but Philip, I want to leave Sydney. And Philip's like, Mandy, at the cathedral, the world comes to you. And he was 
right in that I worked with very few Sydney people uh, while I was at the cathedral. And so I remember talking to lots of my friends about what should I do? Um, and they said, well, pick the person that you want to work with and who you want to learn from. Um, and I realised that pretty much most of the people who had had a significant impact upon my life had actually been trained by Philip. Um, and so I kind of was like, oh, I'm not a Philip Jensen person. And then when I started thinking about all the people who had impacted me, so many of them had come through uh, the ministry at UNSW and had been shaped by him. And so I went, okay, well, I guess I'm going to work for, for Philip and look after the evening, like with someone else, look after the evening congregation there. And so it was one of those things that was very much an opportunity opening up rather than me having a clearly specific, this is the kind of job that I'm looking for. And it was mm. someone who approached me. Um, and in the end, that was even what happened uh, with Gladesville. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, someone that I um, went through college with um, knows Dave really well and said to me, I'm giving Dave your phone number because he's got a position at Gladesville. Uh, it took me three times to say yes. Um, and then I went and had coffee with Dave and went, oh, I really, really want this job. Um, and partly that was just the mix of, I never set out to be the director of membership, but one of the things that I love doing is I love helping people connect um, and to help grow the community feel of what we're doing and to see people cared for. And he rang someone to ask for a reference and told them about the job and they just went, well, did you design that job for Mandy? Um, and the answer was no, but in God's kindness. And so I think it's one of those things, it's hold lightly to your ideas about exactly what a job will look like, uh, talk to people and choose wisely who you work with. Mm, so good. Um, just one final question, Mandy. If you've, um, if you wanted to add any other advice for our listeners, particularly those who are thinking of aspiring into ministry, any other sort of final words of advice for them? Yeah, I think one of the things that I'd say is um, talk to the people around you. Um, as I look back on the way that God worked in me to bring me to, to serving him, I realised the significance of the people around me who um, talked with me about who I was and how I was wired and what I could do. And I can remember a few significant conversations along the way with people sort of saying to me like, oh, are you thinking about ministry? Because I think you should. Um, or challenging me about areas of godliness. And so I think that whole idea of that there is actually a communal aspect uh, to what we're doing. And so talk to people around you. I think making a decision to serve God long-term isn't something that we do on our own. Um, even as a single person, that's a decision that I had to make with my church family around me um, and having them say, no, no, we think you should do this and we'll back you um, as you go and do that. And so I think talk to people around you and also take every opportunity that you've got. Um, it's never going to be, I think while you're serving God, while you're working full time, uh, 
take hold of the opportunities that you've got there because it's not all of a sudden magically going to become easier uh, to do them. And so have a go at things, particularly have a go at things before you're apparently the trained professional that knows everything. Um, so <laughs> sure. it's you get lots of freedom to have a go at things and to try your hand and to see what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. And so I think have a go. Yeah, that's great. Mandy, it's been great having you with us this afternoon on this biopodcast. Uh, Aaron and I are just really thankful for the time that you've been able to set aside to uh, chat with us and um, the great encouragement that I'm sure uh, this will have been to all of the people listening. And um, we're really thankful for the work that you're doing at Gladesville and the way in which God's clearly worked in and through you. And um, we just want to thank you for joining us this afternoon. <laughs> It was great to catch up with Mandy and hear her story about how she's aspired into ministry and continues uh, to serve. Mm, um, I think really good. Yeah, there, there were lots of things that um, you know I'd love to spend some time reflecting on. But you know, Aaron, over to you. Have you got any particularly that sort of struck you coming out of the chat we had with Mandy? Yeah, there were so many different things. I guess there was one thing in terms of the the place of role models in her life and how yeah. she didn't have heaps of role models yeah. and how she wanted to have more good female role models it did make me think well as a guy in a way i'm blessed to have heaps of role models and i lament the fact that there aren't more solid female role models out there obviously there are many strong women who are in ministry but i lament that there's not structures in place for more churches and groups hey i just wanted to butt in here and say obviously i'm talking as a young white male here and so that's very difficult for me to do so so do take my suggestions with out of caution because I probably don't know what I'm talking about and don't fully understand the situation for my sisters in Christ. Can have a clear idea of what ministry mm. may look like in the future. Because that was another thing, just that lack of clarity about, okay, if I want to go into ministry as a woman, and if I do have complementarian convictions, but as I said, not everyone does. And some we have, I'm sure we have friends with the egalitarian convictions listening to this as well, and they're welcome to the conversation. But if you're on the more conservative side, it is hard to know what exactly ministry will look like, particularly without a clear role model. Yeah, I guess before we jump in and maybe reflect on that, just coming back to your just earlier comment just then, um, you've obviously had role models and still have role models in your life. Just as you reflect a little bit on the role that they play in your life, maybe what are some of, do you want to reflect on some of the things that you appreciate about that or some of the strengths of that or because I I would have thought that that would be true whether or not you're a male or female considering ministry and whether or not you have male or female role role models what do you think makes a good role model yeah oh they've played an extremely significant part of my life and I've been blessed to have a couple different role models and I think that helps to have a diversity of role models from a diversity of backgrounds so you can seek wisdom so you can seek counsel so you can just have someone to check you in a way, check your motivations, check where, you, where you're coming from and keep you accountable. So I've been so thankful to the people who've spoken into my life. I think a good role models are consistent in mm-hmm. checking in with you and ask good questions of you, what you're desiring, where you're at. And I think ultimately the best role models are those who follow or who exemplify the type of person that we want to be. So people who know Jesus personally and seek to live like Jesus 
that is the most powerful thing for me, looking up to anyone older than me. It's not just the words they preach, it's the way they live and the, the realness of their relationship with Christ that flows from their life. So that's what I'd say. I think the other thing just worth reflecting on coming out of Mandy's, the conversation we had with Mandy about the lack of female role models is uh, two things. I know I've chatted with a number of other senior women in ministry who have experienced similar sorts of things. And I think like you, Aaron, I do lament that we don't have as many um, women in ministry uh, to then not only be undertaking particular roles and responsibilities in ministry, but also to be mentoring younger women. So two things to say, my encouragement would be is for those women who are pursuing ministry and are in ministry particularly, um, please continue, uh, please continue, please continue being in ministry and loving and serving God's church uh, with all the gifts that he's given you in whatever capacity you're in. And I think if we can be a great encouragement to those women that they might be great role models for the next generation of women, then that's a really important thing in the life of the church. I think the second thing to say is that for those women who are considering ministry and um, might not have very many current active older women as role models, uh, uh, just a brief word there. Interestingly, even though Mandy didn't have many other women, in fact, it wasn't really until she got to college that she suddenly went, oh, this is what women in ministry are doing. Even along her journey of aspiring into ministry, that didn't put her off hmm. from going into ministry. She kept persisting with the encouragement of both men and women, it sounds like, who were presumably congregational members in the local churches. And so she has this one moment where um, even though she was doing the work and didn't um, feel that impressive, and we might come back to that in a minute, she continued to keep thinking about hmm. ministry and aspire to ministry. So I think my encouragement to women who are aspiring into ministry is by all means seek out role models, but let's at the moment recognize there might not be as many as we'd like. So can I encourage mm. you to keep pursuing ministry under God, keep seeking the wisdom of others. Um, yeah, I think that'd be a, a good encouragement for women who are thinking about doing that. Mm. And that's really, really a really important part of our podcast, Patty, hasn't it? To just say that look, men and women should aspire into ministry, not just men. And that's why we've wanted to have a diversity of guests on the podcast as well to try and display that. So I think that's really helpful Absolutely. advice. Absolutely. What about you though, Patty? We've spoken about role models. What reflections did you have from our conversation with Mandy? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I mean, I guess um, as I reflect on my journey into ministry and then having been in ministry for a number of decades, I, at, in my early years, in my sort of decision-making years, was also blessed in having a number of people who were older than me who were wise and experienced, some in ministry already and some who were not in ministry, who could give me advice and speak into my life in terms of the decisions that I was making and helping me navigate some of those issues. And I guess as I've gone on in ministry, partly because I really appreciated that personally, I've sought to do that to the sort of next generation of people who I've been ministering to. But also I think there's the biblical principle of 2 Timothy 2, where Paul encourages Timothy to find the next generation who will also then teach the things that Paul has taught Timothy to teach others also. You get that sort of four generational aspect. So I think probably my reflection on that is that we need those who are mm. older, wiser, more experienced in ministry to be proactive in being role models, which would include everything from, as Aaron, you just said, living the uh, life following Christ to be a great example. But at the same time, I think to be intentional and proactive in looking for those who are of the younger generation that they might offer themselves in a more perhaps formal sense as a role model. And I think then my advice also to those who are sort of aspiring to be in ministry is 
search out those who are older and wiser and at the same time um, also be willing to take on some role models just because you have a role model doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have them for life although for some people those role model relationships can extend for many many years so i think that'd be my sort of first reflection on mm. the role model question oh that's that's so good and hey i love i've loved having a, a fourth guest on our podcast for some of this episode patty's yes, cat you've heard her make an appearance <laughs> yeah. for our listeners with you know, Patty's cat appeared halfway through our interview with Mandy, and it was hilarious. I was we were both trying to hold in the laughter. Yeah, she's roaming around. <laughs> hey, the other thing I thought was interesting was how Mandy said that. You know what? I loved my. Uh, she said, "Love." She loved her job in government, and that was a hard thing to leave that behind because she knew that it was really valuable and useful. And I thought, wow, what a what an honest and um, humbling thing to say that. You know what? Like, secular work is a great thing to do. It is not. Not there's one that's better than another. Both are very valuable for God's kingdom. And yet she thought, well, actually, maybe I'm gifted, though, for particular types of full-time ministry, types that other people can't do. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I really just like the way that in her experience, you now everyone's experience is a little bit different, but in her experience, she used this phrase, which I think uh, went something along the lines of she... Um, realized that what she was doing um, had value. Um, but what she also came to a growing realization about was that there were also other Christians who could also be doing what she was doing, which meant as there was a growing conviction that she could step aside from that work to pursue full-time ministry, there was not only a willingness to do it, there was also a conviction that she was suitably mm -hmm. gifted and appropriate. And there was also, I think, this sense that um, there would be others potentially who could follow in her footsteps in the work she was doing in the public service who would do, I guess, mm. just an equally as good a job in that regard. And I think there's that sense of freedom, right, that she feels that she can step aside from her public servant job for the sake of then pursuing ministry. And again, there's that growing conviction. Um, there's that personal conviction. Uh, and in this case, um, you know, thanks be to God for all the years of service that Mandy's given, she stepped aside from that public service job, pursued formal theological training, which we've talked about over previous episodes, and is now in ministry. So I just really like that sort of mindset mm -hmm. that says, look there, the Lord, in a sense, can also raise up others who can do this particular job that I'm doing. We're not quite as indispensable as we think we might otherwise be in any sense in working for the public service or in ministry, actually. And I think that realization is fairly humbling. But I think it also gives you this freedom to set aside other work for the sake of pursuing gospel work if you are suitably qualified, appropriately, of, of suitable character and appropriately qualified. And if that's the conviction that the, the Lord places upon you and grows in your heart through his spirit. So I think there's a great freedom there to do that. I guess, Aaron, another thing that um, struck me about um, the conversation we had with Mandy was there was that little phrase that um, she used that she felt unimpressive in ministry. And I'm, I even wonder, as one mm. yourself who's aspiring towards ministry, is there a bit of a temptation to sort of only aspire to an impressive ministry? Or do you think there's a bit of a temptation among people aspiring to ministry to think, well, I will only keep aspiring if... I can be seen to be an impressive person. Do you think that's sort of a real thing in the mindset of some of the people who are aspiring into ministry that might be our listeners? Yeah, I think that's a very challenging question there, Paddy. It's very challenging, partly because I think our generation, we want to make a worldwide impact because of the internet, because of globalization. We don't just yeah. want to 
make an impact yeah. on our town, but we want to impact the world. I think that's that's what research yeah. suggests. So I think you're, you're right in this. There is a danger with our ambitions to, to want to do flashy ministry that's seen by others and to want to have influence for the sake of having influence. Now, I think there's a way to have godly influence beyond just our area, but that's another discussion. But I do think you're right in that. I think we need to have a really realistic understanding of what ministry involves and we should be prepared to do the parts that aren't that aren't impressive and acknowledge that those are really important parts of ministry so the pastoral we work work we do behind the scenes with say youth kids that i do on a friday night that's really important stuff it's not on the stage but it's just as important as the Mm. talk Mm. so yeah like i think it's a challenging Mm. question i think it's something that as young people, we should constantly be examining our motivations and ambitions and to see how they line up yeah. with, with what would be godly ambitions and motivations. I guess one of the things that struck me about it is the, I mean, the image that just comes to mind is that Paul's image of the body. You know, the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you, and the eye cannot say to the hand, who is more important. Like, And so I take it that even within the body of believers, both there are those who are, if you like, lay members and the ministry that they undertake on a voluntary basis once a week of teaching Sunday school, leading a home group, um, when it's that activity of bringing the word of God to bear into the lives of people is in many respects the same activity that the pastor does when he proclaims the word. It's the bringing of the word to the people of God. Yet the pastor, particularly if they've been freed up from other forms of employment, um, if you like the one who is in gospel ministry, actually has greater time to be able to do this ministry um, and I think sometimes we do run the risk of presuming that the person up yep. the front is doing the impressive work and that's the work that everyone should aspire to. Whereas I think we could probably, many of us and our listeners could tell countless stories of just how mm. impressive our Sunday school teacher was, whether or not they were um, the, the 19-year-old who turned up at Sunday morning to teach them when they were six, whether or not they were doing it in a voluntary capacity or a paid capacity. So there's a sense in which we need to sort of keep re calibrating our thinking about what is impressive and what is unimpressive and even Paul you know in 1 Corinthians would say that when he comes to the people mm. he comes unimpressively right but the power is not in his outward appearance or his rhetoric or his speech mm. but the power actually is in the power of the gospel and the gospel message so I, w- I would have thought my encouragement there is that for those of our listeners as we bring the word of God to bear into the lives of people that's impressive work but it's not our work that we're doing. We're the agent through whom God is speaking because God does his impressive work of his word being brought into the minds of the hearers. And for the non-Christian, God willing, seeing them converted. And for the Christian, seeing them grow to become more like Jesus and grow up into the body. So I guess that'd be my reflections on you know the impressive, unimpressive nature. Amen, Paddy. May the next generation aspire to both ministry that is on you know, that's displayed and ministry that's behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, looking forward to next week, our Q&A. Yeah, I've Lots got... Lots of a, questions to cover. Uh, <laughs> and thanks for, to our listeners. Thanks for sending them in through the Facebook group. Not too late to um, send some more questions in. I'll be working on them in the week before the Q&A. So um, uh, I've, but you've set me some... Our listeners, you've set me some really good challenges. There's lots of great questions there to yeah, try Yeah, looking through. forward to it. Right. So you keen. All right, until then. Thanks for listening to the Aspire podcast. To finish off season one, we have a Q&A episode next week with Paddy and myself. See you then.